From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Washington Watch. Thank you for tuning in and making us a part of your day. Well, coming up, yesterday, former President Donald Trump visited East Palestine, Ohio, the site of the February 3rd train derailment that ignited serious health and environmental concerns. To the people of East Palestine and to the nearby communities in Ohio and Pennsylvania, uh, we have told you loud and clear, you are not forgotten. You are not forgotten. We stand with you, we pray for you, and we will stay with you in your fight to help answer and the accountability that you deserve. We'll have that accountability. It'll all be out there very clearly. Admitting earlier in the week he was slow to respond, President Biden, Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg is there today. We'll get the latest from Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost, who is considering legal action on behalf of the citizens of Ohio. And the Biden administration is responding to China's top diplomat traveling to the Kremlin on Wednesday to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin, warning the Chinese Communist Party not to provide military material. The PRC understands, we think, what's at risk uh, were it to proceed with providing material support uh, to Russia's war against Ukraine. Uh, we've been clear, we'll not hesitate to target uh, Chinese companies or individuals that violate our sanctions, and we're, mo- we're monitoring very vigilantly uh, for potential violations. That was State Department spokesman Ned Price. We'll talk with Texas Congressman Nathaniel Moran, a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, in just a moment. And Brace yourself, parents. All right, this 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 may trigger you. I have a master's degree because when I got certified, I was told I had to have a master's degree to be an Arizona certified teacher. We all have advanced degrees. What do the parents have? Are we vetting the backgrounds of our parents? Are we allowing the parents to choose the curriculum and the books that our children are going to read? I think that it's a mistake. Now, don't throw anything at the television or radio. I'm just the messenger. That was Alicia Messing, a public school teacher in Arizona, testifying against a measure that would allow parents to have a voice in the books made available to their children at the schools paid for with their tax dollars. FRC Meg, FRC's Meg Kilgannon will join me for what I'm sure will be a lively conversation. You don't want to miss that. That's coming up later. And today is the National Collegiate Day of Prayer. But this year, in light of what has been occurring at Asbury and other university campuses, the day has gained greater attention. FRC's National Prayer Director, Dr. Jay Johnston, is back on campus at Asbury, where a special nationwide broadcast will take place tonight. He joins us a little bit later to tell us about it. Our word for today comes from Jeremiah 21, verses 4 and 5. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands, and with which you are fighting against the king of Babylon and against the Chaldeans who are besieging you outside the walls, and I will bring them together into the midst of the city. I myself will fight against you with outstretched hand and strong arm, in anger and in fury, and in great wrath. King Zedekiah asked the prophet Jeremiah to pray that God would deliver Jerusalem from Babylon. God's response was, not only will I not help you, I'm against you. In verse 14, God tells why. I will punish you according to the fruit of your deeds, declares the Lord. Despite repeated appeals to repent and turn to God, they refused. And now God 
was against them. And that is not a good place to be. For more on FRC's Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. I discussed on the program yesterday a growing awareness, a growing concern of a potential Cold War with China. China's top diplomat was in Moscow yesterday, clearly sowing uh, seeds against the West. The Pentagon announced today it will markedly increase the number of troops deployed to Taiwan, more than quadrupling the current number. You know, have we entered a new phase in this uh, standoff with China? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Nathaniel Moran. He serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee, the House Education Committee, and the House Judiciary Committee. He represents the 1st Congressional Congressional District of Texas. Congressman, welcome to Washington Watch. Tony, thank you for having me. This is my first time to be with you, and it is a deep pleasure. I so appreciate all the truth that you are uh, making sure gets out on the airwaves and through the television stations these days. Well, I appreciate that. And and, and you're new to Congress. You uh, took the seat that our good friend Louis Gohmert had. But you're already serving on multiple important committees. I mean, Foreign Affairs Committee, that is an important committee, Judiciary Committee. So you've got some important assignments Tell us uh, about what you hope to accomplish before we get into the topics for today. Just kind of your passion and your goals as you come to Washington to represent uh, the 1st District of Texas. Well, I'll start with talking about my role in the Education Committee because of the clip you played at the top of the hour. Uh, I, like many parents, was probably astounded by the fact that somebody would stand at the podium and say parents should not have a right in the say of their education of their kids. Uh, the first w- committee hearing we had two weeks ago for the Education Committee, I cited a unanimous opinion from the 1920 from 1925, where the Supreme Court said in Pierce versus Society of S- Sisters that parents have a fundamental right to direct the upbringing, the religious training of their kids. And it's astonishing to me today that we are uh, not seeing that. Uh, fulfilled, that we're in fact seeing parents excluded from the boardrooms and from the decision-making of the education of their kids. So that's one of the things that I really want to get done here at the federal level is to get rid of the Department of Education. Uh, It's not something that's constitutional for us to be dealing with. It should be a state's issue, and more importantly, it should be something that parents are at the center of. Well, we will join you in an effort. Look forward to to working with you to, to return the God has given the authority and the responsibility of educating children to parents. And and we want to make sure that the power remains in the hands of parents. And we look forward to joining you in that effort. Let me ask you about this. Vladimir Putin's national address this week appeared to confirm the war in Ukraine is not ending anytime soon. Yesterday, top diplomat from China there in, uh, in, in Moscow Are we entering a new phase of this war in Ukraine? I certainly believe so. Make no mistake that this war in Ukraine is is about more than just the conflict between Russia and Ukraine and about more than just that geographic region. Uh, Truly, this is becoming a, a proxy conflict between the United States and China, the two dominant superpowers economically throughout the world. And what most people uh 
seem to forget in this conflict is, look, if, if we can't push back hard against Russian imperialism and Russian aggression in this instance, we're going to see greater issues that we're going to have to deal with down the line by a growing axis of evil, that, that being Russia, North Korea, China, Iran, those entities and those countries that say, we don't want freedom, we don't want individual liberties, and we're going to capture the rest of the, the, rest of the world and, and push our agenda on them. And so we, we've got to understand that we have to, uh, we have to push the Russians back out of Ukraine. Uh, and if we don't, we're going to end up in a situation where there's greater conflict to deal with and greater responsibility that we're going to have to, we're going to, have to take on. So uh, it, there's lots to, to deal with when we get within the, the minutia of how we should deal with the Ukraine conflict. No doubt we need more accountability on, on the weapons that we're sending over there and the, and the money that's being sent over there. Uh, we certainly need more uh, accountability for uh, for all the taxpayer dollars that, that are being spent. Truly, I'd like to see us uh, take the money that's been captured by the Russian oligarchs and use that money instead of the American taxpayer money to fund uh, what needs to happen in Ukraine. But listen, uh, the, the Russian invasion here, it won't stop at Ukraine if we don't stop them, yeah. if we don't help the Ukrainians stop. It's going to continue through other other countries. You know, it's, it's very interesting You see how history repeats itself. This time, the Cold War is not necessarily with Russia. It appears to be China and Russia. When we were in Afghanistan years ago, back in the 80s, Afghan, that was kind of a proxy uh, war that was taking place there. Now, Russia is the proxy of China. It, you know, could be. I mean, it looks like it's developing that way. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I do not support this administration's policies uh, domestically, and they've been very weak in their foreign policy withdrawing from Afghanistan. But I, I do want to give the pre- president credit where credit is due. I think it was a good move uh, to go to Ukraine this week and stand with uh, the president there in Ukraine. I also think it's interesting that uh, the U.S. has hosted top diplomats from Taiwan this week in Washington, D.C., which is also a significant break with the past and I think sends a very strong message to China. Yes, it certainly does. And we need to send that strong message because, as I said, if if we're not going to push back hard, if we don't push back hard on this Russian-Ukrainian conflict, we're going to see a growing conflict between China and Taiwan. China already believes that we're weak. I do agree. I appreciate the president's trip to Ukraine and appreciate his strong words this week. But that's, you know, this may be, unfortunately, a little bit too late because we need to have steady, strong and strategic foreign policy Uh, leading up to today that he has just simply not been willing to do until he's pushed to do that by uh, those of us in Congress that are that are voicing our concerns. So we need to be proactive in that steady, that strong and that strategic foreign policy uh, dominance worldwide so that we don't get to a military conflict. We don't want to see that. So uh, when we look back, you know, it's interesting you make that comparison of the Cold War. When you look back at how we won the Cold War, a lot of it had to do with us defeating the Russians economically. And that's part right. of our problem right now is we're we're not economically dom- dominating the world. We're letting the Chinese do that. Economic policy will lead to foreign policy, which will prevent a military conflict. We need to be the leaders in this world economically. Extremely important point. And, and we're actually giving them money. We're 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 sending our money to China to bolster their regime. And this is something I talk about frequently on this program. 
uh, in my former capacity as the chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, I was sanctioned by, by China for speaking out against their human rights abuses. And, and I talk about how, you know, each one of us can practice in, in, or take a part in this by simply refusing to buy products that come from China. Because every time we're buying products from China, we're bolstering the Communist Party there. That's right. We are. And as you said, you know, there's a perspective here that goes deeper than just the physical uh, world that we're dealing with. It's a spiritual battle. And those of us in the evangelical Christian world, we know that we want to spread the gospel throughout this world. We do that by having influence and allowing freedom in other countries. But if we allow China to dominate other countries, the African continent, the South American continent in particular, Think about how hard it is for the gospel to spread in those instances, how hard it will be for us to have missionaries in those locations if they become captive economically and from a foreign policy standpoint to China. We just can't allow that to happen. We have to be leaders in this world because we are that shining light on the hill. We're that shining city that's going to proclaim there is freedom in this world, and it begins with the United States example. You are absolutely uh, correct. Congressman Oran, I want to thank you for joining us today. Great to have you on the program. Look forward to uh, following up with you real soon on that education issue. We want to talk about that with you as well. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. I've said this before, but you hear them on this program, and you don't necessarily hear these members of Congress uh, on the, the other cable networks because they don't want you to know that you've got men and women of deep abiding faith that have been elected and are serving here in our nation's capital. There are a lot of them and you need to be praying for them and you need to support them. And when you hear them on the program, you know, we usually have the contact information uh, on our website and you can contact them and thank them for standing strong. All right. Meg Kilgannon joins me next as we talk about public education, one of my favorite topics. Don't go away. We're back with more after this. Would you like to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading intentionally. You will dive deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues of today. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. His Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said, We are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible. First Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that we have. The mission of FRC's online center for biblical worldview is to carry out that verse by training Christians to advance and defend the faith in their families, communities, and the public square, as now more than ever, we need to be grounded in the truth of God's word. The Center for Biblical Worldview provides amazing written resources for a wide range of relevant issues, including biblical stances on voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality. 
Each of these topics comes as a free downloadable PDF version, abbreviated version, and Spanish translation, along with a prayer guide. To access this written series or to sign up for the Center for Biblical Worldviews monthly newsletter, visit frc.org worldview. Did you know that from as early as 12 weeks, and certainly by 20 weeks, an unborn child can feel pain? Did you know the issue of pornography is growing among women? Did you know that pornography, sex trafficking, and abortion are all linked and on the rise across the globe? Issues such as pornography, human trafficking, drug legalization, and abortion are all violations of human dignity and have resulted in the devaluation of human life in our culture. Family Research Council stands firm on the principle that every life has value, ought to be respected, and has been designed for a unique purpose— Educate yourself on the harms of pornography, human trafficking, and abortion so that you can offer hope and help. Learn more at frc.org forward slash life. Back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. And, and jot this down, all right? Mark it down on your calendar, September the 15th through the 17th. I know that seems a long ways off, but that's the date of this year's Pray Vote Stand Summit in Washington, D.C. September the 15th through the 17th, we'll have uh, most of the Republican presidential uh, hopefuls, along with many, many other experts talking about all the issues you care about that you hear right here on Washington Watch. Again, that's September 15th through the 17th. Be watching for more details. Well, in normal times, it was adults, uh, especially parents, who would be directing children and instructing them on what's right and what's wrong. But in public schools these days, we're increasingly being told that children by the way, whose brains are still developing till about the age of 25, should be the ones calling all the shots. Take, for instance, in St. Paul, Minnesota. In the state's largest school district, their gender inclusion policy now requires that every teacher address students by their preferred name and pronoun. The district policy also expects staff to address students by their preferred pronouns regardless of parental consent, meaning they don't have to tell their parents. And they're certainly not going to tell the parent. Well, here to react to this is Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. Meg, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me, Tony. Well, like I mentioned, the district policy expects staff to address students by their preferred pronouns and name uh, upon written or oral request from a student. And it does not require the parent's consent. Your reaction to that? Well, I wish I could say that I was shocked, but I am not. This is sadly the state of affairs in many school districts. I think what I did find surprising about this, though, was when I went back and looked at the original documentation for the gender plan that they were using, it's dated um, uh, July of 2015, and it's been updated several times since that time. And this goes to show you that this project of separating children from their parents is a longstanding one. It goes way past 2015. But this iteration of it and the idea of the, of the concept of gender, gender is just the latest version that we're seeing. 
this disrespect, disregard, whatever you want to call it, for parents is deeply rooted in government education. I mean, I, I talked about this at the top of the program. A teacher in Arizona recently uh, helped the cause, I think, of parental rights with her testimony before the Arizona legislature against a bill that would have allowed parents the ability, and it did pass the committee, it's not all the way through yet, but it allows parents to speak about books that their children will be exposed to in the schools funded by their tax dollars. Right. This this uh, this teacher who was speaking is such a uh, a great example of the kind of mentality that permeates education and particularly schools of higher education and her emphasis on the fact that she has a master's degree and so she knows best. This is just the classic kind of attitude that greets parents when they try to engage school boards. Let me play this clip again in case people didn't catch it at the top of the program. Clip number seven. I have a master's degree because when I got certified, I was told I had to have a master's degree to be an Arizona certified teacher. We all have advanced degrees. What do the parents have? Are we vetting the backgrounds of our parents? Are we allowing the parents to choose the curriculum and the books that our children are going to read? I think that it's a mistake. She obviously is a graduate of uh, the former governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe School of Government, (laughs) where he said parents have no right to speak into what their children are being taught. Well, and she believes that rights come from the state or someone who grants them to you and not from God Almighty, right? I mean, I I did not get permission from anybody to uh, marry my husband and and be blessed with the four children that we're blessed with. And that's not how it works. Our our rights, no one needs to vet parents. Um, It's only in very rare cases of serious abuse where any sort of government intervention is necessary. But that arrogance, that arrogance is is unbelievable. I mean, they they have their talents in our children and they won't let them go. But I am so grateful that we have seen since covid in particular, these mama bears who are responding and going after these buzzards who have their claws in our children. Right. And there was a great case in, in Georgia where a mama bear group had their court expenses paid by Forsyth County Public Schools when they were not allowed to participate in public comment um, for the very same kind of issue that this teacher is talking about, is that someone with a master's degree can allow pornography to be shown with children. And when parents object to it, we are considered ignorant and not qualified to make a comment on that state of affairs. And I think everyone's going to be surprised when when these things are turned around. Let me ask you about that, Meg, because is this in part, I mean, this is so blatant. I I have a master's degree. Who's vetted these parents? Who are they to tell us what we're to teach their children? I mean, are they desperate? I mean, are they being threatened by the advance of parents? And so now they're they're just kind of losing it? I, I think it's a, an interesting mix of two things. One is the, the pressure that's put on them when they have to justify what they think, because the, there's no, not really much discussion about these topics 
uh, at the policymaking level inside the schools. They're in an information bubble, and they don't realize that they are. They have one kind of thinking that's informing the zeitgeist of public education, as it were. And, um, you know, we used to—parents generally think that their kids are having basically the same experience that we had when we were in school, and that is simply no longer the case. Now that parents are confronted with that reality and they're pushing back against these crazy ideologies, the, the, the teachers are shocked and they're struggling for some kind of foothold to defend these ideologies, and they're not going to be able to do it. And they're being exposed and all of their radicalism. Meg Kilgannon, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Tony. And parents, uh, there, there are a couple of responses. One, we need to have our children out of the government schools, if at all possible, homeschool them, Christian education. There's so many options today. But that doesn't mean we abandon the public schools. We need God, godly men and women going into the public schools as teachers like missionaries. And we need to be running for school boards and taking over these godforsaken places. All right, coming up next... Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg has uh, finally decided to visit East Palestine, Ohio, 20 days after the derailment of the train. We talk about it next with the Attorney General of Ohio. Don't go away. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. On the way out of that last segment, I misspoke. I said uh, our schools and our school boards were God forsaken. Actually, I should have said they have forsaken God. God has not forsaken 
our schools or our school boards or certainly not our children. But when you look at what we've done, we've forsaken God, and we need to return to him. All right. The uh, East Palestine train derailment has captured headlines. Now, the Biden administration has had its focus elsewhere, and that includes the Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg. He surveyed the damage today in person for the first time, perhaps shame to finally visit after 20 days to see the destruction himself. He was actually asked today what took him so long. You know, what I tried to do was balance two things. My desire to be involved and engaged and on the ground, which is uh, uh, how I am uh, generally wired to act, and my desire to follow the norm of transportation secretaries, allowing NTSB to really uh, lead the initial stages of the public-facing work. Okay. Yeah, right. Got it. Well, many citizens of East Palestine are left wondering what their legal options could be to remedy this train derailment and the ecological disaster that it has caused. Well, join me now to discuss this and more is the Ohio Attorney General, Dave Yost. General Yost, welcome back to the program. Good to see you, Tony. So can you provide us uh, a quick update on the latest there from uh, East Palestine? Well, uh, we did get that uh, NTSB initial report today. Uh, it appears that the um, uh, ball bearings and the uh, railroad wheel assembly did uh, get to a critical overheat uh, several minutes before it reached East Palestine. Uh, the meaning of that uh, is going to need to be understood in context, but uh, certainly uh, it's an equipment failure. And the question is, uh, why did it fail? Who knew about it and could it have been prevented? Now, you, in your role as the attorney general, you represent the citizens of the state, and you're looking at legal options that the citizens might have. What what options might there be for the state of Ohio to take action against the railroad? Well, there are some possibilities under federal law. In addition, we have uh, state law claims. Uh, it looks as though there may be some environmental damage beyond just the initial cleanup around the site. Um, the, hydro, uh, the hydrochloride, uh, the vinyl uh, chloride is uh, heavier than water. And uh, I have some concerns whether it's embedded in stream beds in the area. Um, we're in the process of finding out exactly what the facts are. That will drive our legal strategy. The good thing about uh, Ohio, when you look at the, the leadership there and even your congressional de- delegation there, there's a quite strong unity there uh, with the governor, with yourself, with again, with your congressional delegation, especially those that Bill Johnson represents that area. Uh, but the, yeah. the uh, and, and by the way, I mean, I, I, I would not say that uh, the federal government's responsible for this. They certainly are not. This is the railroad. They, they bear the responsibility. But the response of the federal government from my perspective, but you correct me if I'm wrong, uh, under the leadership of Secretary of Transportation Buttigieg, seems to be a little lackluster. I couldn't disagree with that assessment. Uh, you know, he went um, 10 days before he mentioned this at all, and then it was only in a tweet. Um, and it took him, as you mentioned in your opening, till today, almost three weeks after the, the, the disaster, uh, to actually show up on the site and uh, talk to the people. And, and with, with all respect, 
uh, it's not interfering with the NTSB uh, investigation for the Secretary of Transportation to come out to the site of an epic railroad disaster and hear the concerns and see the damage for himself. Uh, there's no interference with that. What that does is respect uh, a group of people that uh, there along the, the valley have been too long forgotten. Right. Well, it, it also shows it's a priority. I mean, I've been in government, and when you have government officials go to a site and says, hey, as you said, we respect you, but also we recognize this is a problem and we're going to focus on it. When it takes you, uh, you know, 20 days to get there, it leaves you wondering if this really is a priority. Well, unfortunately, I see what I think might be a pattern here. When we had the uh, supply chain disruptions in 21 and 22, um, that's squarely on the desk of the transportation secretary. And yet he seemed to not be terribly involved in that. Last Christmas, when the air traffic control system melted down, uh, you'll remember yeah. that we had, had days of disaster. Where was he? Uh, and why didn't you see this coming? Uh, I, I just, uh, uh, there's a lot of people, including me, that are wondering whether he's quite up to this job. Yeah, you're not alone in that. I think this is the, uh, this is the results of the left's identity politics. You put, put someone in a position because they check one of your political identity boxes, they're not qualified for the post. Uh, Attorney General Yost, always great to see you. Thanks so much for taking time to, uh, to join us today. Take care, my friend. All right. Attorney General Dave Yost of uh, Ohio. Again, it's a case book study of the left putting identity politics above competence. And again, not blaming uh, the administration for what happened. That's solely on the shoulders of the railroad industry. But they could have responded a little bit quicker. All right, coming up next, the National Prayer Director for the Family Research Council, Dr. Jay Johnson, joins us from Asbury University. He's back on campus, and he joins us after the break. Don't go away. More Washington Watch straight ahead. What is biblical masculinity? In our culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood. Men, husbands, and fathers need to find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength. But where can they find it in our culture? Stand Courageous Men's Ministry was created to help men find this model of godly manhood and to develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who understand the issues men face. They unpack our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can make an influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, Family Research Council created a tech subscription platform to be sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. It is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. So if we get canceled, you can still access updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? 
Just text STAN to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAN to 67742 and you will get alerts on the biggest stories of the day. With just a simple text, always have access to our content and stay informed and connected with like-minded community. Text STAND to 67742. That's STAND to 67742. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student, specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to positively influence public policy and the culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that has prepared and equipped students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch. Glad that you have joined us on this Thursday. The website is TonyPerkins.com. I've mentioned this, uh, I mentioned it yesterday, I think I've mentioned it pretty much every day this week. Um, the 19-year-old police officer in Port Wentworth, Georgia, Jacob Kersey, who was essentially forced out because he posted on his personal Facebook page a biblical definition of marriage. And he was told, if you're going to be at the police department, you cannot comment on scripture. Well, he couldn't agree to that, so he resigned. So we have, uh, this is a, a, a huge violation of the First Amendment, and it's the intolerance that we see growing from those on the left who want to silence biblical truth. And so we want to stand with Jacob, and, and we have a petition, and over 20,000 folks have signed this thus far, and in just uh, about a week or so, we're going to deliver this to the mayor of Port Wentworth, Georgia, and you can add your name to it. So text the name Jacob, that's Jacob, to 67742, Jacob to 67742, you'll get a link, and you can sign that petition that we will deliver to the mayor's office. All right, speaking of young people, all right, and then I'm, you know, a few years ago, I wrote a book called No Fear, and it was the, the stories of young people standing up for truth, and, and this is happening. We don't hear about it a lot. Uh, the media doesn't like to cover it, but there are young people that are, that are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ and standing for that truth, and that's one of the reasons I've been watching with great interest the outpouring of worship and praise and the stirring of the Holy Spirit that has taken place at Asbury University and, frankly, has now moved to other campuses across the country and literally around the world. And uh, after two weeks of marathon worship services, today marks the end of the public on-campus gathering with the National Collegiate Day of Prayer. 
Now, there'll be a special event tonight at 8 p.m. that'll be broadcast from Asbury University. And, uh, in fact, you can watch it at uh, TonyPerkins.com beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll carry that feed. It's not on television. It's just uh, they're streaming it. Well, the Family Research Council's National Prayer Director, Jay Johnston, who's been on the program with me, was asked to return to the campus and help with tonight's service, which again, coincides with the Collegiate Day of Prayer, and he joins us now from the campus of Asbury University in Kentucky. Dr. Jay, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. Well, you're getting uh, pretty yeah. comfortable up there in uh, the bluegrass state, huh? Well, it's, it's beautiful springtime weather, so the Lord's blessing up here right now. So last night you were in the the chapel service, and you're going to be there again tonight helping with the counseling and the prayer. Uh, Tell us uh, about what you saw last night. Is this still going strong? Yeah. uh, In fact, there were students that started gathering um, outside the Hughes Auditorium and some of the other auditoriums that they use for overflow, I would say about noon yesterday. And just spent the afternoon out there. It was it was kind of a little bit rain and overcast, but they just gathered out there, did not let it hinder them, and just worship, share with one another, pray with one another. And so yeah, the the Hughes Auditorium uh was was packed last night as well as the other auditoriums that they use for overflow. So it's been about a week. I think you were there about this time last week, a little earlier in the week. Um, any comparison? Of what, what what does this week look like compared to last week? The um, last night, I would say there were. It seemed to be that there were more uh, students that may have been brought from other campuses and from local churches or churches, not just even local. Um, I met people from Connecticut, from California, uh, from different parts of the Midwest who were here. And they asked for a show of hands last night, and maybe not right at a half of the auditorium, but close to it were were high school and middle school students. So that was a little bit different. But the intensity of the worship, the testimonies continue to be uh, pouring out and just sharing. And then there was also a very strong, very clear presentation of the gospel right from God's word uh, that was taken to share with those students. And and there were a a large number that first stood up and said that they wanted to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior and stand with Jesus. And then they came forward and were were prayed with and also received a Bible. Wow. Um, There's been some, I mean, reading the reports and reading reading what people talk about, there's always people that want to comment on everything. I mean, look, I'm excited to see what's happening here and and just want to see it grow and expand across the country. Is it, is it, the, the 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 precursor to another awakening i don't know it'll be it'll be a while before we see that i pray that it is we absolutely need it as a nation uh, but i rejoice in the lives that are being transformed there are some that are kind of critical questioning 
the university for saying this is the last night, they're stopping it, uh, they're going to end the revival. But that's not what the university leadership is actually saying. No, they're they're continuing to nurture it with their students, and they're very jealous to, or maybe not jealous, protective, to make sure that their students really grab hold of who God is. And and so they're continuing to nurture that. And even last night, um, one of the leaders of the university uh, just shared in, in the closing moments uh, about tonight being the last night and really tonight being a launch night uh, to go out to other places around the country. And so they're not they're not seeing it as an ending. They're seeing it as a as a stewardship of just sending it out to other places. So, and that's part of having the other students on the campus. You said you, you, you encountered people from Connecticut, and last time you were there, you saw people from different states. I think you mentioned Colorado and just all over the country that have come there. And, and, and so we're now seeing uh, that other universities, other places are experiencing similar outpourings of the Holy Spirit and a spiritual stirring among their students. Yes, and and they are. And the ministering that they're doing, this isn't just about a bunch of folks, um, you know, gathering and just, I guess, you know, it's not like a concert. It's full participation of worship. The, 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 it is just beautiful to hear them sing. Often the, the instruments stop. And and the people just continue to sing. In fact, last night they were switching about every two hours. The students switch worship teams, and as they were switching last night, uh, the participation from those in the congregation, without anybody leading from the platform, continued on. I would say at least five minutes where they just continue to sing. And to worship and and the the ministering of prayer around where you're sitting and just not just down front, but around each other. Um, There was just also a real call to repentance last night that was led. And and people, I mean, they were, I would have to just say either everybody was on their knees or they were totally laying prostrate on their faces. I mean, it was just, it was a beautiful sight to behold and just to be participating in of just that act of surrender. Uh, Dr. J, you had mentioned uh, to me earlier that the last night as they talked about this, that seeing this is kind of a cannon shot of, of sending this out across the country. So tonight, this is, happens to coincide with the uh, Collegiate Day of Prayer and so campuses across the country are going to be gathered uh, to, to pray, and there'll be a simulcast or broadcast from Asbury University tonight. Is, is that a, a part of the hope tonight, that through that uh, two-hour broadcast beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern time to 10 o'clock, that this is something that could help accelerate the expansion of this across the country? I, I believe so, Tony. And part of it is, is God's design is that the they the collegian day of prayer uh team 
requested of Asbury a year ago if they could come here on February 23, 2023 for the 200th day of Collegiate Day of Prayer. So this is a God-orchestrated time for them. And the Collegiate Day of Prayer team has really had to make an adjustment from what their program was to what God is doing and joining in that work here at Asbury. And so I do believe through the, the simulcast, the intention is that now uh, Asbury is just blessing and sending it out um, to God, just take it wherever you want it to go. You know, and, and another beautiful thing that I've learned in, in praying with a number of the administration and faculty over the last couple of days, and just also just serving them uh, when we weren't in the worship service, just finding ways that I could do something uh, to just be a blessing to them because they've been giving and giving and giving. You know, every Monday for years upon years, the faculty has prayer walked not only the campus, but also around the community. And for years upon years, the retirees of Asbury, who often just stay in the community somewhere um, nearby, they gather on a weekly basis to pray. And so there, there is a lot of prayer that just continues to permeate what this this place and and they're seeing the answers that the students are really grabbing hold of the truth of God's word and what he has for them uh, with any revival prayer precedes the move of the spirit you mentioned the truth and that's really the 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 acid test if you will of revival returning to God we've in our journey through the through the Bible and our two-year journey through the Bible at FRC, we we're in the book of Jeremiah, who is constantly telling the people, giving them God's message, return to me, repent, walk in my ways. And repentance is is turning from our ways, turning back or turning to God's ways. And we live in a culture that is upside down. And these young people have grown up in a society that rejects the idea that there is truth. I mean, think about it. We're at a point where we're now saying, you know, you can declare whether or not you're a man or a a woman. I mean, this is insanity. But to choose to walk with God is to say you're going to walk contrary to the world. And and I'm wondering if if that in some way that, that there's a reality check here that to walk with God, to choose to follow God means we're going to be in conflict with the world. Do you see that? Is there any discussion of that? I, there, there is some, there's been some discussion of that among the, some of the students that have had the chance to, to just hear some of their stories and to pray with them, that they recognize that, that they're recognizing, I should say, that God is truly God and that he has a plan for them far better than them. The other... And and that they really there there's going to need to sacrifice and and it doesn't mean that they're going to be without because the beauty of what they're also experiencing in the obedience of what's taken place here over these last 
what, 16 days, I think, I guess tonight will be the 16th night, is that what's happened is that they've seen God's provision. There have been uh, publishers that have just shipped cases of Bibles here. There have been provisions of food and water, um, and they're just seeing, and nobody's asked for this. Nobody's requested this. It's it's just people being drawn in the Christian community, and so they're seeing a little bit of that. The other part of it is, is the number of these students have grown up in with homes without a father, and when they start singing about God being a good, good father, there there is a connection there with the Heavenly Father that I think some folks may have never experienced, but they're seeing this and they're realizing that 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 God really has a plan and a purpose for them, and they do really want to join him in that. And so their hearts are turning to him and their commitment is to walk with him really no matter the cost. I've heard several of them say that they're committed forward no matter the cost. They're going to walk with Jesus. Uh, Dr. J, we're up against the end of the program, but very quickly, there's a hunger out there. People are traveling across the country to get to Asbury. Our churches need revival. Ten seconds. What do churches need to do to experience it? I would say open up tonight and begin having prayer meetings, just allowing people to come and pray. Start there and allow God to work. All right. Well, we'll be watching and praying tonight. Dr. J, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Tony. And folks, you can watch you can watch tonight, 8 p.m., TonyPerkins.com. Until next time. Let me leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 